everybody, this is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and thank everybody that's been sharing the show with your friends, and I would love if you subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or left a review, or a comment. We appreciate that. You can also follow us on Spotify, and we're on all streaming services, so make sure you look for us. At Kras Plus One is our Instagram handle, and you can also email me, one at gmail.com. I love getting questions and suggestions for the show. It's been really helpful. So I appreciate everyone that's been reaching out. So we've got a really special show today. One of my absolute best friends in the world, uh, my guy Danny Mayer, is on the show. Incredible guitarist, composer, and recently became a producer um, since COVID. And uh, Danny and I talk pretty much every day uh, about life, music, and about production and uh, recording and all that type of stuff. So since COVID started, we've been uh, down the rabbit hole and nerding out. And you'll hear a little bit about that and how he kind of got into recording and producing since COVID. And he's got two songs already out off of his new project, which is his first solo project. First track is called Basic Goodness. The second one is called Upsetter, which is a tribute to the late, great Lee Scratch Perry. For those of you that don't know Lee Scratch Perry, one of the greatest producers in in my opinion ever one of the most influential producers one of the architects of dub music he recorded a lot of the early bob marley his group the upsetters and so many other recordings um i i highly recommend you uh go through his catalog and listen to a bunch of his music if you haven't already so Danny has toured a lot over the years uh, with me in different incarnations of my band, with Alan Evans Trio, with Mark Brownstein and Star Kitchen. So we get into all of that and his history as a musician, including what inspired him to make this new record. So I'm excited to get into it, but first we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's an amazing guitarist, composer, producer, and he's been a part of so many great projects, and he's a really close friend of mine. I'd like to welcome today's Plus One, Danny Mayer. We've been friends a really, really long time and played together quite a bit, but uh, I had, you know, had some questions. I got some questions for you. I'm going to be <laughs> frank with you. Um, well, you and I talk a lot about guitar. Just a forewarning to those people listening, we're going to talk about some guitars here. Um, we're going to talk about um recordings and danny has a new album coming soon his first solo offering which we'll get into in a second um but first i just want to get a little bit into your past and what brought you to the guitar specifically i know that you grew up in a pretty musical household uh i know your dad's a photographer but um, there's connections to a lot of legendary musicians, um, and we'll get into that too. But what, do you remember a moment or even an album that drew you into becoming a guitarist? To be totally honest, dude, like, no, honestly. Like, there was no defining thing. It was just kind of, I think I was into it, like, really young, like, third grade or something. I took uh -huh. lessons for, like, maybe 
three months and just wasn't down. I was like, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Right, right. <laughs> and I specifically remember being like, how come I can't get it to sound like all the rock and roll I'm listening to? Because I had no idea there was like pedals or like, right. so I was just getting this super clean, dry tone through an amp. And I was like, this doesn't sound anything like any of the music I like. Right. So I, I gave it up for a while. And then like, I, re I do remember my dad kind of like, as my kind of hippie interests started growing, I remember my dad kind of like, casually dropping little things in there like yo check out this bob marley record or check out this grateful dead record or check right. out this band album or you know whatever it was and i definitely remember hearing like some noodly jerry stuff yeah that really got me like it just you know hit me in the right way at the right time and i was like oh my god i want to i want to do like whatever that thing is like i want to get into that vibe you know and yeah. then I saw the dead and it fucking changed everything for me. After right. that, I was like, this is what I want to do with my life, you know, but it wasn't necessarily a guitar thing. The guitar was just the only instrument I had ever played before. And it kind of came natural to me. So I just could express myself in that way right. that I couldn't do on any other instrument. So it was like almost by default, you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Well, I remember for me, you know, I had a similar experience. Like I, I took some lessons, piano, violin, and, you know, my parents knew that I was into music, but it wasn't until I really saw my brother playing with his friends and they right. like saw the like, wow, like being in a band was a whole different thing than learning yeah. like, you know, classical music or, right. you know, rock and roll to, to me was a, a whole different thing. Like creating that with a band, that feeling. Right. Um, yep. And then, you know, there were certain records, like for me, Led Zeppelin is the one that just kind of blew yeah. my mind open and mm -hmm. uh, made me want to play. And it's the same thing where I had an acoustic guitar in the very beginning and I couldn't get that sound that I that I knew existed, and I didn't know really mm -hmm. how to get it, but you know, eventually learned. Okay, you need electric guitar. You need like distortion. Exactly. You know, but you also played classical guitar. Was that in the beginning, or was that something that developed later? That was way later. That oh, was okay. actually like, yeah, that was way later, and that all came about um, just super randomly. I, I like the first literally the first music theory class I ever took in college in Gainesville, Florida was taught by this guy. His name was Jesse Hale. And uh, I remember literally after the first music theory class, he was like, we were having to like take notes on something, some shit he put on the board and we were all having to like write it down. And then he, while we were doing that, he pulled out a classical guitar and started playing for the class. And he had like a master's in classical guitar and was like a serious, he was serious. Right. right. And it blew my mind, dude. It was like the most, he played just this beautiful, I don't know what it was, but it was just so beautiful. And I, I went to him after class and I was like, dude, what is going on here? Like I can play like all this kind of, you know, picky blues jam band stuff, but like, yeah. what is this? I'd never really, I'd literally never heard classical guitar before. Right. And right. so it just, it, it was like, and I remember at the time I, I was really frustrated because uh, I was trying to play music with these two dudes around town and they kept blowing me off. Right. You know, and it was like, and this dude was playing like bass lines and melodies and core, like all these different parts and had made a career kind of of just playing solo gigs. And I never even thought like, 
oh man, you could you could just do this solo. And I remember almost, it was like almost like this bitter reaction to like, I can't get a band together, yeah. so I'm just going to do this myself. But I became really close friends with him, and he kind of took me under his wing. And within like six months, I was playing in like, you know, the University of Florida Brazilian ensemble. And like, I had all these like super cool experiences. And that's how I ended up in Santa Cruz was because I auditioned at all these different schools and the classical and every school was like, no way, bro. Yeah, <laughs> they were yeah. Like you, you can't read the music we're putting in front of you. Like, you don't know what's going on. You got to go back to kindergarten basically for classical yeah. guitar. And then the dude at UCSC in Santa Cruz was like, I played some, he's like, play me an original piece. And I like did some open tuning weird stuff. And he, he was from, oh God, where was he from? He was from like Turkey or, or like, yeah. anyways, he's like, this reminds me of my country. And he right. like loved me. And so he, he accepted me into the music program there, which I n- never actually ended up taking a class there. I ended up going to the community college, but yeah. that's how, and, the, and then I ended up shattering my right hand and then not being able to play classical. And that's what kind of got me back into playing electric guitar, which is really when I started my first band in Santa Cruz, which was like way late the game, you know? I've been playing guitar for 10 years before I played in a band. When you were playing the classical music on the classical guitar, were you playing by ear at that point? I could read really, really slowly. Right. So I was just memorizing the pieces. Right. Like, it would take me, like, a month to learn, like, a Bach etude, you know right, what I mean? Right, And I'd learn it, or literally, like, plug away every day, and then by, like, the, i just memorize it. Right. And so then I'd go to these auditions and pretend like I was reading the music, but it was really just from memory, and there was they were like, that's wrong, that's, you know what I mean? Like, I learned yeah. it. Yeah. Probably some parts pretty incorrectly, and, uh, and then quickly realizes that was not a world for me. I didn't, yeah. you know... It, it it like reinvoked that third grade dude who was like, "Don't tell me how to sit." You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, I want to yeah. I want to sit with the guitar over here, not a, you know in between my legs, looking like. One of the most know. traumatic experiences for me, I remember, was like trying to play violin in like third grade and the in the ensemble or whatever, and the teacher coming over like banging on my music stand because I was and it just scared me and it made me like run away from music for a while. You know, right. until I came yeah. back around, and also I just didn't have a connection to classical music. If I had, if I had been presented to play classical guitar, maybe that would have been different. But also, like the discipline was a whole di- a different thing, and I never really, right. even to this day, became a really great sight reader. You know, I, I I learned it just enough to get by and to be able to write things ideas down a little bit here and there. But, uh, you know, to to this day, you know, I, I pretty much rely on my ear to, like, right. navigate navigate me. So so from the classical years, do you think you refer back to a lot of that style when you're playing and you're improvising? And Dude, honestly, it's really only been in the last – it's so funny you asked that. Like, in the last maybe – three months I got this little beater classical I, I like when when I was I shattered my hand I had this really nice I forget who made it it was like some dude in Florida handmade all these beautiful guitars it was expensive yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I remember not having a lot of money at the time so I sold that thing and and just maybe like two three years ago I got this little beater 
classical guitar just to have a nylon string around. And it's literally, dude, the only guitar I've been playing maybe the last like three months. And I just, right. I don't, I can, I can, I'm like starting to get some of the chops back and like, and it's some of the things are, are re and like having multiple voices happening at once and kind of shit like that is just, I'm starting to be able to do that instead of just playing with a pickup. You actually dude, the last couple times, like even on those blue note gigs, you were like not using a pick very much. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like having that finger tone, even on an electric guitar, it just made me want to like start using my fingers more instead of a pick. I've been really, really into that. I mean, I feel like there's another level of expression when you're not, I mean, there's obviously having a, there's pluses to both, but to me, right. kind of, there's more personality that's unique t- to me, at least when I'm playing without a pick. And I also yeah, started I out as a bass player. So I'm used to that. And I remember taking my first guitar lessons, the guy would be like, Oh no, you got to use a pick. Cause it took me a while to get the like alternating picking, but I would go back and forth. Like I'd had this thing where I would put the pick between my fingers and start playing with my fingers uh, that like, I never consciously, learned it was just like i would go back and forth right because i was comfortable playing with my fingers for like from bass and yeah. then like yeah you know what's funny is like during the pandemic i started playing acoustic a lot more just because i was at my house you know exactly. like yeah, and exactly. i started playing with my fingers more also since you know having a young child like it's quieter so i can like play right. with him in the next room <laughs> And exactly. like just be like noodling, and I've been kind of slowly but surely trying to figure out like these different baseline kind of counterpoint things. I wouldn't yeah. say it's like classical per se, but some of that oh, yeah. technique. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's beautiful shit, man. It's really yeah. beautiful shit in band situations. Like it doesn't. I don't feel like it. Uh, Rolodex really at all in terms of the vocabulary I'm using. So, but when you're like improvising and soloing with a band, do you still, do you strictly use a pick or do you kind of go back and forth as well? I've been back and forthing a little bit. What I notice is with, I don't have the chops with my fingers, which is cool. You know what I mean? So if I'm trying to like play less, like I, I, what I've been trying to do is start my solos without a pick, you know, and be able to just kind of make these like, a little bit more of like a statement oriented opening to a solo. And then as I want to like really start digging in a little bit more, I'll, I'll reach for the pick, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then yeah, have all that there as well. But, and comping too, even like I, like if I'm doing chanky, like funk rhythm shit, I use a pick, you know, yeah, but yeah. sometimes I just use my finger, like my index. Finger. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm doing like chord kind of more stabby or even open kind of chord stuff, I've been trying to use my right hand. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel that way too. I actually been thinking about it, and I think almost all of the solos on my record are all with my fingers. I think it has something to mm. do with like when you're making more melodic like kind of statements right. in a solo. Yeah, I mean, for first of all, I think the expression it adds to the expression of it, and but it also does kind of make you slow down a little because you're not, you know, as fast. Obviously, at least I'm not right um, with, no, exactly. with fingers. So, so then when you uh, kind of went back to electric, you know, what happened th- at that point in terms of like the scene in Santa Cruz and like what was your first mm-hmm. band in Santa Cruz? 
Dude, it was on the spot trio. It's been like 15 years, 16 wow. years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really been like me and Yunker. Yeah. You know, Chris Yunker, keyboard player. And we've gone through like a series of drummers and we still play. It was really funny, man. I <laughs> I was taking all these classes at the, like all these music classes at the community college there. And I was really, after I broke my hand, I was like, you know, I want to start playing with a pick again. And I started kind of getting more into that. And I was like, ooh, this feels really good. I, I want to take another stab at starting a band. I had met these dudes and we kind of jammed a few times and me and the drummer really connected because of Soul Live. He was a huge Soul Live fan. Right. Like, wow. like he was like, dude, I, you know, I had known about you guys before, but never, he was like a super fan. Right. This dude, Emery Nelson, the first on the spot trio drummer, full blown yeah. Soul Live super fan. He knew every, everything. He knew right. like, right. he had the, the DVD of you guys, like some, little mini documentary thing like yeah, we yeah. do we would nerd out on soul live so wow. i connected with him jamming with these other guys who didn't really want to be musicians they were just kind of like for fun kind of shit and we'd right. like rent a jam space every once in a while and i'd like take some acid or something and yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? And like just jam with these dudes for like four hours but again me and the drummer really connected and we decided we wanted to take it more seriously and, and find an organ player who played left-hand bass. Yeah. And so, dude, I put an ad on Craigslist. Like, anybody in Santa Cruz area have an organ, a real B3 organ, and knows how to play left-hand bass. The next day, I was sitting in, it was like jazz appreciation at Cabrillo College, Santa Cruz, and this dude taps me on the shoulder, super hippie, super long, curly hair, and he's like, hey, man, did you put an ad on Craigslist of yeah. looking for an organ player? And I was like, yeah, man, I did. He's like, I play organ, super into Modesky, Martin and Wood and super into all these bands. And we just connected immediately and all that. Maybe even the following day, me and Emery, the drummer, drove up to his house like, dude, he had, the, he had this little weird house in the woods and like went into this room and literally it was like the organ and a Leslie and a small little... He's got this really dope vintage Ludwig kit. I think it's like a 66 or 65 Ludwig. Yeah. And it was just crammed into this corner. And I lugged in a little amp and we jammed. And it was like, holy shit, this is going to work. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like right off the bat. And, uh, and I, yeah, that was my first band, dude. Wow. First band on the spot trio. Crazy. So you, your first yeah. band is still in existence. You guys still yeah. still tour and play and record and... Yeah, I mean, not as much touring, but yeah. we have, I think, three or four songs like in the bag. We do. We just were up at Al's, yeah. you know, recording, and we got maybe four or five more songs that we got to record, two more to write, and Al's putting out a another new on the spot trio record. And yeah. the whole Al tie into that, you know, is so interesting too because he's recorded every single thing on the spot trio's ever done. Yeah, yeah. You know. We've put out like four full-length albums and an EP and all kinds of other stuff with him. He's been involved literally since the beginning, right. which is really funny, you know? Tell me about connecting with Alan in the first place and uh, the recording that, that kind of took place after at your house out there in Santa Cruz. Well, the first one, we flew out to Massachusetts and we did that. Um, oh, okay. So oh, that happened first. Okay. Yeah, which was so interesting because we we had all these songs on that we wrote all these tunes. We had I think ten or, or eleven tunes. We definitely had ten that we wanted to record, 
and we were gonna we were like all set to go into the studio in Santa Cruz, and it was it was the only studio in Santa Cruz, and it was they dude, it was like crazy money, like yeah, they wanted like I don't know, I don't even remember how much it was, but I remember thinking there's no way that's possible really but we were just going to do like a day or two here and there the first time we played together was at the boom boom room yeah like for like a soul live after party thing or and right before that like i think within that week (laughs) it was only myspace that existed at the time and i remember going on myspace and al made this post i think it was like after you guys recorded up here or something yeah he made a, a post basically being like i recorded all this stuff or I don't remember what it said, but I, I had no idea he was an engineer yeah. and that he, he did any of that. And I remember hitting him up on MySpace, being like, hey, man, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to do this after party for you guys next week. Would love to talk to you about recording. And I remember him being like, right on, man, see you at the show or something like that. Yeah. And then that night we connected. And I remember being like, you know, how do we do this? What do you got to do? And he was like, hit up. My manager Kim, yeah, <laughs> you yep. know what I mean, and uh, she'll she'll work it all out. And so I think literally the next day I went home and emailed Kim, and dude, and then they sent us basically like, here's what we need to make this happen. And it was less than half with plane tickets for yeah. the three of us to fly out there. It was like less than half of the amount of money we were going to pay for like, and twice as long. It was yeah, like we yeah. were there for ten days and we were going to do five days in Santa Cruz, and it was half the price. And so I bought us all plane tickets, flew out to Massachusetts, recorded in his spot in Hatfield, same place yep. you got the, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah we and, got a bunch of stuff there. You know, got to play your fucking 335 that Derek gave you on that record. Oh, wow, crazy. Which, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I don't know. It was like a big deal for us. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? It was yeah. like, we were like in Al Levin's studio playing all the Soul Live gear, band who was trying to just basically be like our own little weird tripped out version of soul live and that was the first recording it's called straight out the garden and then we switched drummers and we started writing more like trippy afrobeat shit like totally changed gears yeah kind of wanted more of like an old school sound and i remember al hit me up saying hey man you know i think soul live was starting to slow down or something yeah. or i don't i don't know really what was going on but he i remember him being like hey man just want to put it out there like you know, I got a bunch of free time if you want to make some music or record anything. And it was literally the perfect timing. We had just finished writing like 10 more songs or something. But with this new drummer, yep. I at that point lived on this property in Santa Cruz with this kind of weird little house that had a nice open room, like a separate house than the house me and my family were living at at the time on the property. And we turned that, Al flew out shipped all of his gear out i mean boxes of gear and we set up a studio like a makeshift studio kind of in this weird little cool house up on my five acre property in the middle of the woods in santa cruz and we recorded a full-length album there called shag and another ep there called soul banshee yeah. And then another single there called Suction. All in like the course of like 
three weeks or maybe it was a month. All, or it was all just, in the same trip. He was just, he stayed there all on the same yeah. trip. And he stayed there for like almost a month. And we booked a little tour where he was like the special featured special guest. And yeah, I yeah. had a residency at this spot called the crate place with this other organ trio called seven come 11. And it turned out that our drummer at the time happened to be going to like South America for that exact month. Right. Right. So Al was playing those, you know, Santa Cruz gigs, those weekly Tuesday nights that I had in Santa Cruz while we were recording. And then at the end of, I think the last maybe five days he was out there, we did a little like, you know, Santa Cruz, San Francisco, Tahoe, uh, maybe Sacramento or maybe, I don't know. There was like one other one in there. We did a little run with Al and on the spot trio. And then the day he was leaving for that shit, he was like, yo bro, I got this dude, Bo Sasser on the East coast. Like you guys are doing the same thing. He's got a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night residency. You got the Tuesday, you guys like you need to meet. Like I'm, we're missing a guitar player like you. You're missing an organ player like him. Like we got to do this thing. And so of course I was like, yes, Please, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that and was that, how it all bled into Alan Evans' trio. By the way, those sessions from your house sound so cool. I've always loved the sounds you guys got just from, like, Dude. setting up in that weird room, you know? I love those recordings. It was... It was so much fun, dude. Like, honestly, man, it was like we were on my property. We could record at four in the morning if we wanted to. We weren't disturbing any neighbors. There was nobody around, you know? Yeah. And, like... Dude, it was just, it felt like that old school kind of like, you know, you have full access to this studio 24 hours a day as long, you know, and like kids stay in there as long as you want. And we'd end up, we'd do one of those crate place gigs and end up back in the studio at like three in the morning, all like, you know, kind of hammered and having fun. And that's like so much of that stuff ended up on the album. It was just a fun time. It was like, it was so much fun. I think you can kind of like hear that in in the recording. We were just experimenting. I remember at one one point we were all playing, there was this little wood stove in there that had this really cool sound if you played it with mallets. And so Al brought in like a mic and we mic'd up the wood stove and all of us were playing these percussion parts on this one wood stove at the same time and just doing funny, weird shit like that. Like, blowing into bottles to get the tones, you know, and yeah. like pouring out the little tiny bits of water to get the perfect pitch and yeah. all this fun, just funny shit and like experimenting with sounds and Yunker had a, a space echo that was like heavily used on the album yeah. and, yeah. you know, it was fun. It was just a fun time for sure. We'll be right back after this short break. So then moving out to the East Coast, you guys formed uh, the Alan Evans Trio, started touring, and then eventually fully moved. Dude, it felt like those first couple years with Al, it was like we were just on the road. Yeah, It yeah. just felt like it never ended. And it was like I was the only one who lived on the, the West Coast at that point. Simultaneously, I was making less money. <laughs> You know what I mean? So I couldn't really afford 
the property in Santa Cruz. And so I was starting to think about, okay, how am I going to do all this? And then it got to the point where it was most of our shows were on the East Coast. So I'd have these weird, like everybody else could go home to their kids and my kids were on the West Coast, but I only had like three days between a five-week tour and a seven-week tour. Right, right. You know what I mean? And I'd end up sleeping in Al's basement for those three nights, just like waiting for the next run. And then hadn't seen my kids in like two months, you know? (laughs) And it was like, I was like, I can't live like this, you know? And so we eventually made the move to Hatfield, Massachusetts, which is where Al's studio was, you know? What that's uh, something I also wanted to to touch on a little bit as, you know, I am starting to figure out parenting and being a musician and how they can coexist and wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, being a dad and being a musician and how you came to, you know, figure out a balance of those, those things. Uh, I don't know that I ever did, to be totally honest. That was a big, big challenge for a really long time. And I had wanted to be a musician my whole life, really, you know, and I finally kind of had the opportunity to play with one of my heroes And so I kind of just prioritized that, to be totally honest. I was like, you know what? I have this great opportunity that's going to potentially set me up for, like, a future in music. And I got to go after it. You know what I mean? And the attempt to balance it was moving my whole family to the East Coast. So when I did even have those three or four days off, I could actually be with my kids. That obviously made it a lot easier than most of my shows being completely across the country and doing these crazy long tours that with very limited time off in between another crazy long tour, like that was completely out of balance for a while for me in that department. So getting them to the East Coast, all of us being kind of in the same area, obviously was the first step in like correcting that imbalance. And then it just became like, okay, I play a lot around the Northeast and we live in the Northeast. So I'd come home every night after shows or tried to book as much local stuff as possible. And then longer tours would happen and it would fall a lot on their mom. And it's really only been in the last, maybe like your band was, was pretty, pretty mellow in terms like we hit the road for a while, but it was never like these six week tours, you know what I mean? And so like being on the road for a week, is a lot easier to deal with when you're away from your kids than like I'm gone for three months or two months. Yeah. Something like that. You know what I mean? It was like, that was insane. How long did you guys tour for about three years? Was it? Yeah. And so do you think that the extensive touring and crazy amount of shows led to it burning out to a certain degree? Yeah. I mean, that was 100% a contributing factor by the end of it. I think we were all pretty like, needing a break and i think the van breaking down like 200 times in three months you know what i mean like just sent us all over the edge to a certain certain extent and we'd be like in the middle of nowhere playing to like 15 people and still having a blast you know what i mean it was like a it was definitely a really fun experience and i got fucking like that's where i got like al pushing you to like as you know you know what i mean like yeah I came into it like this chill West Coast kind of mellow dude who was playing like this psychedelic stuff. And then all of a sudden I was playing like Al's music and it was like had to be a certain way. That was also my first experience like 
with a band leader, you know, kind of basically being like, no, the guitar parts are like this. Cause as you know, too, he's also a killing guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, I wasn't coming up with my own parts. I was kind of like just putting my own twist on it. Right. right. And sometimes he'd be like, that was dope. And other times he'd be like, no, yeah. <laughs> you don't do that. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But it was like, I learned so fucking much being in that band with him. Like, yeah it really taught me how to like step on the fucking gas pedal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. which is, is like really a useful tool to have. If that's what you're trying to do, just hanging like literally, I remember the first year I felt like I was in the ring with Mike Tyson. Yeah. I felt like I was just getting my ass kicked like every night. And like these two dudes were just, it was nothing for them. And for me, yeah, it was like, yeah. Oh my God, the third song, my hands would be like, well, how do yeah, I even, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no, I know all about that. I mean, Neil and Al, you know, energy-wise, volume-wise, I mean, every, <laughs> yeah. there's no breaks. It's just constant. Right. And that always, right. I, I would always be pushing to kind of slow down and have like a slow song or a chill song. But, I right. mean, they know how to keep people moving and dancing like all night. Yeah, there's a big reason you guys had such a thing. You know, it was like, that. that was what people needed at the time i right, think you know right, what i mean right. like it really was a, a beautiful thing but you guys would also get it you would get into these kind of every like i think later on later more you know, yeah later yeah. later on we started you know pl- putting more ballads and and or just i guess more dynamics overall you know right. we'd break it way down and then build it up and and do and there'd be a lot more um yeah just just more dynamics as a whole and a little bit, you know, but it, but but that threshold oftentimes would be close to ten. You know, there's a lot of yeah. between seven and ten in terms of intensity. <laughs> um, right. When you're dealing with Soul Live, <laughs> so when you yeah. guys were ending, I'm trying to think of how long between that and the EKB era, like Blood from a Stone. But you know, you and I became friends. Uh, well, really before that, but once you moved to the East Coast, we were hanging more. I had made uh, an album called Blood From A Stone, and I needed uh, someone to play those guitar parts because in the studio, I was just layering guitars, and I was singing really for the first time, uh, lead, singing lead for the first time. So I knew that going out and touring it, I needed support and i knew that you would know how to play those parts you know there's not that many people that i know that could play like curse lifter but also play like the more like rhythmic even funk stuff from my and also from like the reminisce record and you know Mm -hmm. so anyway i remember i sent you the album you hit me right back like yo this is the shit Let's link and and at the time you were also like playing with and hanging with Mary Corso, which so then she came yep. into the picture too and started singing with me, which made sense because mm-hmm. the record had these vocals. And basically, from then for about for a few years, we were pretty much spent all of that time together, you know, traveling yeah, and performing and getting to do a lot of 
amazing uh, shows and 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 like just crazy experiences as a whole. And we did we actually did a lot of shows. It's funny because I was looking back at um, some YouTube stuff, like the live at FUV and World Cafe XPN. Oh, like yeah. the beginning, like yeah. especially towards the beginning, we were doing all those like the promotional things. things. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know we've we had various different people in the band, but for the most part, Calb, the bass chair changed a bit, and then mostly D vibes or Eric Finland, you mm-hmm. know, which uh, tossed was, a couple Pete Levins in there. Oh yeah, Pete Levin, shout out to Pete Levin, I love Pete. But uh, you know, I, I'm very like thankful for those days and like you and the whole like team kind of getting behind that, you know, because it was. Not easy to step out for me, you know, as a solo artist, especially singing yeah. the songs and having to totally. cover all of that, you know? Yeah, that's nerve wracking, man. That's like, that's totally nerve wracking. And like, but I definitely remember you, I think you called me and you're like, yo, what are you doing this summer or something like yeah. that? And I was like, I just remember being like, bro, if any, anything with you, I'm down. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then I think you sent me the record. I think I listened to. Oh God, like maybe 10 seconds of it before I was just like, yep, like not even a question. Like I'm in, this is my shit. Like, let's fucking do this. I remember just being so stoked, dude. Like, I'm so grateful for that. Just so you know, just for all of that. dude. I mean, we were roughing it. We were roughing it a bit, you know, on on some of We were roughing it, but then we'd end up at like El Gonzo in Mexico. We'd end up at that spot in Alaska. And it was like all the roughing it was like totally worth those like beautiful golden like moments of like this shit is amazing you know i mean we had like some vacations out of it you know yeah we did i mean that's the thing is like you kind of just got to figure out touring you know because the thing you know for 99 percent of touring musicians out there you know one night can be a really shitty gig and then the next night you know you're playing a beautiful theater with you know and and then the next night again you're playing a club or the sound sucks or you're you know it's uh always an up and down and it's all about riding it you know and understanding that and not letting it phase phase you um but yeah i mean for me the thing is like knowing when to do those awesome you know the connecting with the right people and you know mm -hmm. you never know that's why you like keeping your attitude in the right place is going to bring you to awesome experiences, you know, like we got to go to El, Gon- El Gonzo in Mexico, which was such a beautiful thing. And that happened from a, a gig that I did and ended up meeting these people and talking. And, um, you know, the same thing happened when we went to Haines, Alaska and had this incredible time up there and got to see all this wildlife and get out on the ocean and hike. And like, you know, I think that feeds into the music you know, when oh, you get time. to when you get to do things like that and Soul Live, you know, touring in Europe and going to Japan so many times in South America. Totally, we've had um, a lot of you guys went to Africa. I mean, yeah. you guys were all over the place. Yeah, we've been, dude. I mean, and it creates like a bond 
because I, you know, it's, I feel like especially with improvised music, you know, yeah, like if if there's like even fifteen percent of what you're doing is improvised, you gotta kind of like have a like a you gotta know the people you're. It's it's like a you know obviously being in a band with somebody's like it's like a relationship it's like yeah. its own unique relationship and so building those like personal bonds of having these like really beautiful experiences together just I mean one hundred percent especially I feel like in those improvised moments where you know if you just don't like the person you're on stage with, why are you going to want to support them in this beautiful improvised moment? You're right. just like, whatever, right. you know, but if you're like, you guys are like having this like really beautiful kind of on the stage, off the stage experience. It's like feeds this whole thing and it starts kind of like resonating, I think in a deeper way. And I, I think people can really feel that, you know what I mean? Kind of like meditation in a lot of ways where like you're very, you're in a vulnerable state. When you're exactly. improvising, especially in the kind of music we do, if you're like performing exactly. the same show every night and it's more about people singing along to the songs. And of course, right. I'm always want to have songs people sing along with. But a lot of times that what sets one show apart from the other is those improvised moments, those little in-betweens that aren't planned. And mm -hmm. in order to like really take that somewhere, you need to be in tune. So, you know, that right. you need to be in tune with the people you're around Exactly, um, and be able, and and like the the tiniest little things can throw that off. You know, I think right. as we get older and and more mature, you're able to navigate situations and get there easier. But absolutely, uh, you know, I've had I've definitely had like crazy crazy experience, and I'm and I'm get very sensitive in those moments. You know, if something's not right, it can really throw me off, and I get like rattled. You know? Yeah, I think that I think that place of vulnerability is really the most beautiful. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, because I, I really do feel like people feel that. You know what I mean? Like, For even sure. though what's going on in our heads is like completely different than what people may be experiencing. You know what I mean? It's. I think when. Yeah, being in that vulnerable place like that is like you have because you have to be open to all this shit. If you're just shut down and not vulnerable, you're just fucking nose to the grindstone and you're just yeah. kind of doing your thing and getting through the shit. Whereas like when you're really your antennas up, you're open, you're not necessarily picking up on just the good shit. You're picking up on everything. Right. right you know, so right. it's like there's the potential for it to be. A really like heart crushing <laughs> experience is like totally there. Like I remember getting off the stage and being so pissed sometimes because I just felt like I played awful and had these opportunities that I didn't seize and all this head tripping, you know what I mean? And I think, I definitely think as I'm getting older, those are like, I remember talking to you about this a lot in the band yeah, and you'd yeah. be like, bro, Come on, like you sounded great. You just fucking let it go. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you it's have all to. Good. You don't let it go. You start. It'll drive you completely insane. You know. And I've been on. I've been on both ends. I mean, exactly. I've, I've definitely exactly. been in in both places. So I want to get into the album, but but before we get there, I wanted to ask you if you could give me doesn't have to be in order, but your top <laughs> five guitar players that inspired you as a player. 
I mean, that's such a tough one. That's such a tough one. It doesn't one have to me. be your, your, your end all be all, but I want totally, just, just give totally. me five. I mean, dude, straight up off the top of my head, you, you were a huge, Gods. like straight up, you were a huge influence. I have like two specific, like, I remember hearing your solo on Jesus Children off of Turn It Out and this is the talk box solo oh, yeah, and the yeah, only yeah. other talk box I ever heard was like Peter Frampton. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, yo, this is like and you it was like so expressive because you can actually use yeah, yeah. vowels and stuff. You know what I mean? And it was like it fucking blew my mind. I remember thinking like that's that's some shit I haven't really heard before. Like and and kind of changed the course of how I was thinking about guitar playing at the time. Then I would say anything Derek Trucks, yep. you know, I don't, he hasn't necessarily like influenced my, I can't play anything like him, even if I tried just that his whole thing, the yeah, whole, yeah. what you know, his, it, it definitely changed everything for me. I was like, that's an entirely different language that I've never really heard before. You know, it's like, it was like, I don't know. It's just one of the most beautiful guitar players out there. And then kind of more like, obviously Jerry was a big yeah. one for me when I was, yeah. especially when I was like a kid and specifically the classic Scarlet fire from Cornell 77, like yeah. the transition there yeah. when he turns on the envelope filter and the sub octave stuff. I remember being like, wow, that's like, you know, that fucking blew my mind for sure. And like a couple, I had, I had like a couple, you know, I carried around cases of bootleg, Grateful Dead bootlegs. Oh, yeah. I, I did the and same and thing. there was like, right. And there was like, I can't really even remember this. I remember like some Port Chester, like some Capitol Theater moments that like in these, you could just tell it was like these total improvised, like amazing, just beautiful, very major, happy, blissful moments that I remember being like, wow, these guys are on some 71, you know, these guys are like on some whole other shit in 1971. Yeah. And more recently, I don't really listen to that much guitar these days, but Doyle, dude, Doyle Bramhall. Yeah, I love Doyle. Dude, that one album, uh, Rich, Rich Man. Man. Yeah, that's yeah it, that, that changed shit for me. That legitimately, like, I wanted fuzz tones after that. I wanted, like... That, I would say, directly influenced my actual playing, or maybe not my playing tone, as much yeah. as tone, more than maybe anybody yeah. or anything. It was just so, so fucking cool to me, you know? Yeah. It was also, like, right when I, I was discovering, like, Gary Clark Jr., yeah. and, like, he uses that Octavia thing a lot, too, which also then you can't not talk about Hendrix, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Yeah. So he, especially when I was first starting to play guitar, everything blew my mind that he did. Yeah. In particular, um, obviously that who knows from the Band of Gypsies thing with that Octavia sound. Yeah. But what really did it for me for with Hendrix was uh, Born Under a Bad Sign yeah, off yeah. the Jimi Hendrix blues record. Right, right. Not even one of his, like albums it was just like some shit that came out after obviously well after he passed away and i don't even know who's playing on it sounds like buddy miles i don't know yeah anything about it i just know my dad that was one of the things my dad played for me blue jimmy hendrix playing blues and it like 
fucked me all up. I'd yeah. never heard anyone play blues like that ever. I remember thinking he's from a different planet. Listen to all these weird little things he's doing. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, that definitely changed some shit for me. There was a period where I was really into jazz and Wayne Krantz fucked my head up for yeah, a while yeah. just cause he was doing something so unique and different and like fucking just had this crazy tone also that I'd never really heard anybody do anything like that before. And I was going to see him at the 55 bar pretty consistently with like his, with Tim LaFave and Keith Carlock. And it was, it was like a mind blowing experience. And then Pat Martino was a big one for me for a little while. That's pretty much like off the cuff, you know. What? That's, a, that's a solid list. It's a solid list. Sco can't forget Schofield. Yeah, Schofield. I mean, yeah. the Go Go album changed everything for me for yeah. sure. Yeah, me too. You know, me and too. it was like yeah. that and Turn It Out at the same time were like my two. I probably for like it was probably like a solid eighteen months where I didn't listen to anything else. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. literally like those two albums in rotation, and then Sco was on Turn It Out too. You yeah, know, and yeah plays some beautiful shit on there and so you guys were kind of like my like especially when on the spot trio was first starting you know that was like that was my shit and still is every time i hear any of that music it's like puts me right back in it please stick around we'll be right back after this short break So talk a little bit about the new project. It's your first solo album. I, I was definitely hearing from the very beginning as you were starting to put it together what you were up to. Tell, tell the people a little bit about the process. <laughs> yeah, you were a huge part of it, man. Honestly, like the pandemic hit. We had none of, nobody had any gigs. Everything was canceled and yeah. over and nobody knew what was going to happen. And I had been meaning to try to just get a little home set up for years, man. Like, and I just never, I never really had the time, honestly, you know, I like full-time dad when I'm home, then I'd be on the road. And I knew like, I could always go to Al's to record anything I ever wanted to. And he could always do anything I was going to do, but times 10. And so I was like, why am I even going to bother when there's a dude like that in my corner who I can just fucking, make a phone call and, and be stoked on whatever happens. And so anyways, pandemic hit. I remember I was going to asking you like, yo, what interface should I buy? And you're like, definitely get like one of the Apollo, you know, just the twin. And then Luna, the universal audio yep, program yep. was coming out, the time. out yeah. and you're like, it, yep. And you're like, it's it, this thing just came out. You just, just fuck with this. It's free and just try to get a vibe going. And so I did. And you walked me through all the gear to get, but pretty much you walked yeah. me through, you sent me shit like, yo, this, get this and this yeah. and this. And I end up getting all of it and setting up a little spot and just literally sitting there for months, just trying to figure out like, and, and Luna was so new, there was no like real tutorials or like, yeah. you know what I mean? I was like, I couldn't just YouTube. How do I do this? It was like, they had four videos you could watch and that were like Luna basics and yeah, that was yeah. it. 
And, you know, my brother, my younger brother, Kevin, is a great recording engineer. So if I ever kind of got stuck with something, I'd hit him up or I'd hit you up or I'd hit Al up. But basically, man, those first few months was me just literally experimenting. Just I'd never fucked with plugins before. You know what I mean? And you were telling me what plugins to get. I was just getting all I was acquiring sounds. And dude, and then I started just kind of like it's it came pretty quick i feel like like i was able to like get cool like sounds that i was stoked on i remember being stoked that i wasn't embarrassed by the shit i was recording i remember just that was like my goal i was like as long if i can feel comfortable sending this to like a dude like you you know what i mean and like have the confidence to just even take that step then i'm on the right track you know what i mean (laughs) and so I did, and you'd be like, yo, this is really good. You got to just extend this section, you know, dump it all into Ableton, arrange it a little bit better, do this, you know, you got a thing, and you really encouraged me to kind of, like, see it see it through. And so that's what ended up happening, man. I Over the course of the, the pandemic, or at least that first nine, ten months of it, I recorded probably, like, 23 or 24 little... 90 second to two minute little demos and i didn't really intend for them to be more than that but then ableton changed everything yeah yeah. when i could start automating delays and doing all this kind of trippy like making it psychedelic yeah yeah i was then i was like in and i was like okay you taught me how to do the just doubling sections or duplicating you know what i mean and like yeah, yeah. yeah all the editing stuff so then once i had like all this stuff edited and could just play with it at that point just toss plugins on and see what they did and like that's literally how the whole thing happened you know right, it was right. me basically having no idea what i was doing but then being pleasantly surprised with the results and being encouraged by people whose opinions i really respected a lot and so well it was exciting for me it's always exciting for me to share things that that I know, especially with people that I know are going to take it and and make it their own. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. in my case also, I came from, you know, as far as making music on my own, I I always had to do it with hardware. Like it was an MPC 2000 and then it was an ASR 10 actually before that was ASR 10. Then it had like these keyboards and it was so complicated to, to, to make tracks myself and edit them and all that. So when Ableton showed up, man, what you can do inside this one program is just endless, you know? Um, crazy. So I knew that once you had that those tools, you know, you would be able to express something really cool and unique. And when, I, and when you sent stuff back to me, I was like, oh, this is the shit. I mean, I would give you little comments, but... Uh, mm-hmm. but I loved where you were going with it. And I always, you know, as, as I've known you over the years um, you've uh, you've always been into gear and into tones and into like mm-hmm. the delays and the fuzzes and and how they all work together and so i knew mm-hmm. that once you had this palette to work with that you'd be able to make something epic you know a lot of it too was like there was fucking chaos happening in the world right. you know what i mean it was like all the black lives matter stuff yeah. like riots the pandemic, like everything felt insane for a while. And a lot of the shit I was doing was just literally to quiet all of that. It was like, I wanted to be like, I wanted to kind of get into this like hypnotic kind of like 
just a, I needed a break from all of the bombardment of insanity that was going on in the world. And yeah. so a lot of the music came out like pretty chill. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. like it was really kind of not too much going on and not even a lot of guitar solos, like more just vibey shit, you know? Yeah, there's yeah. some like funky things happening in there and then there's this reggae tune I just kind of put out and but most of it is like I wanted people to like not have to pay attention to it. I wanted it to be on in the background and have it actually like be a vibe. Yeah. Like Karangbin kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. Where you can like if you tune in, you're like, oh my God, this is the coolest shit ever. But it could also be in the background in a room of fifty people talking and not interfere or like yeah, be yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it's it just is sets a vibe. And yeah. so that was kind of one goal of mine with and it just started kind of happening that way naturally based on my intention of wanting to wanting to like have it be like a little zen meditation vibe in music yeah to get a break from all the insanity i'm fucking i'm really happy with the way it came yeah. out honestly tell me a little bit about the the title yeah i called it beginner's mind it's a it's a two part title yeah <laughs> and the first part is like this is the beginning for me of even of my own personal recording journey or even trying to write my own music, honestly. Yeah. Like I've always written with other people and in band settings and written for a specific project. This was like me and me and me. <laughs> and you know what yeah, I mean? I was yeah. like putting down the drums on a little pad and then playing bass and then layering 15 guitar parts and then editing, you know, it was like, I had nobody else to, to bounce anything off of. And so I just felt like, like, okay, this is the start of this whole beautiful thing. And then because of that whole, like quiet kind of vibey Zen mind stuff like that, like being able to have this be something that, you could pay attention to and it took you on a journey and you can almost have it be like a guided meditation if you really tune into it in that way. There's truly psychedelic stuff happening in there. And so one of my favorite books, um, I've been into like Buddhist meditation since yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. You know, um, I got like way into it when I was like 15, 16, 17 years old. And one of my all time favorite books is this book from this guy called uh, Suzuki Roshi, and it's uh, it's called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and it basically the whole concept is essentially how like a child sees things for the first time, and it like you're experiencing this daily right now with Lewis. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. he sees something new, and you see his mind get completely blown. You yeah, know what I mean? Or yeah. he learns how to like wave or blow a kiss yeah, or something yeah, and he's yeah. his like oh my god this is the craziest thing in the world my hand is the craziest thing in the world or, yeah, yeah. and that's like that's that and you know we learn over time like the color blue is the color blue and the color green is the color green and then we just know what it is so we don't ever really pass some of those first experiences as kids seeing those colors you don't really think about it or experience the color you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, You're just yeah. like, oh, that's blue. You just know it's blue, and it yeah. just is like part of your Rolodex in your mind of like how you feel things in the world are. But if you kind of like try to get back to that, oh my God, this is the color blue, and look how beautiful, and like experiencing oh, yeah. the color blue, 
that's that Zen mind and the beginner's mind is like, you know, you approach it like you're seeing it for the first time or experiencing something for the first time, like a beginner. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I was doing. I was literally playing with plugins for the first time and going, oh my God, this is the craziest thing. And right, right. tossing, you know, not knowing what, uh, you know, fucking, uh, I can't like a phase three, whatever it was, and just yeah, tossing yeah. it on there, assuming it was a phaser, but it did some whole other crazy thing and accidentally stumbling on sounds that worked so well that I have still to this day no idea what they are or how I even got them. I just opened a plug-in and it was like shit started happening. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I mean? And so it was all just kind of like this discovery of like all this new shit for me. And so it tied directly into that kind of beginner's mind thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I mean, obviously me being around a one-year-old influences that you know influences my mind ever all the time and i start to i start to see it you know like through his eyes like when he sees a tree and right. he's like just staring like whoa and then at first exactly. i'm just and i'm like whoa that is pretty sick i look at that yeah. every day but now that i'm seeing it the way you're seeing it it's really exactly because uh it, and it changes your mind state entirely but yeah i love right i love that title yeah and i remember yeah, you like finding certain sounds and being like, whoa, you know, and yeah. I, I love that. I love uh, stumbling upon something that in the end is kind of the perfect thing. So fun, man. And not something I would ever intentionally go for. Right. You right. know, it was just like, I'd never, you know, try to find some weird, like backwards thing. I don't know. It was like some, I'd ne- I, you know, there's certain things on there that really make a couple of those songs that I were just complete and total by chance accidents. Yeah. yeah. You know? And and then another kind of interesting, uh, you know, coincidence slash accident um, is that you released a song called Upsetter, and it, which was named for the great Lee Scratch Perry. And it, it randomly, you know, I mean, obviously it's a horrible tragedy that he passed away pretty much right when that was coming out. Um, yeah. And was there, did was that already the planned release date of that song? Yeah. They, uh, so Color Red, first of all, yeah. uh, Eddie Roberts, new Master Sounds guitar yeah. player, his label. I, I sent him a lot of the music even before it was even even close to finished and he was super super into it and agreed to put out the whole album so the song upsetter they want they have a really good like reggae uh following i guess like through their channels and um one of the guys at the label was like yo we should definitely do upsetters the second single um and they set the release date but it was actually supposed to be like two weeks later and then when they saw that uh, you know, that Lee Scratch Perry had passed away, they were like, let's see if we can, or would you be okay if we bumped this up? And I was like, dude, yeah, definitely. Like, it's, the, it's like, I don't want to, it would a perfect way to honor him. And I think I even remember talking to you about this, like when I was making the album, I just remember wanting to like literally approach it like it was a dub record, but not really have it be dub or reggae, except yeah. for that one song. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But I, that was my approach to the whole album was like, literally I was like, what, you know, 
let's just Lee Scratch Perry this whole thing. You know, this whole album. No matter what the style of the song, I'm going to find ways to put tripped out delays on the drums and weird sounds tossed in and just tons of delays and reverbs. And, you know, one of my favorite albums of all time, just period, is... Um, Heart of the Congos, like by the, this band, the Congos, yeah, yeah. amazing reggae band that he and he produced this record, and it's dude every sound on that album to me, it's dirty, it's dark, and it's like so tripped out. He uses these, we- you know, you hear all the reverb crashes yeah, from yeah. reverb tanks, you hear these little like kind of weird sounds poke in every once in a while, and it just he was so free in that sense, like. So unconventional, definitely was not like the, this is how things have to be in any way. It was just probably accidentally kicked a reverb tank one day and went, holy shit, that was really cool. And whereas everyone else would have plugged their ears and went like, oh my God, that, what is that sound? He yeah. was like, let's use it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I don't know. I just love that kind of adventurous approach that he had. And, but specifically with like, dropouts and delay grabs and yeah he would use the studio at like an instrument like we play guitar exactly you know? and exactly yeah there's that one clip from the roots rock reggae film that is the greatest Man. and he's like jumping around the studio and he's flipping delays on and he's dancing and like smoking this smoking a massive huge flip. joint yeah, exactly. and just like <laughs> but the way I love uh, it so he much. influenced so many genres like hip hop would not be the same. I mean, he would kind of yeah. one of the inventors of dub music, but the way that he would mute and solo tracks and send it to yeah. all these different effects and and delay out the vocals. Um, mm-hmm. A true, a true master. Yeah, man. Yeah, I was really grateful that for you know, I'm really grateful that Color Red was down to just put out this music at all. But yeah. the fact that they were w- wanting to move up the release to honor him, I felt really was a sweet thing. You yeah, know? definitely. I really appreciated that. And it's, he's just a huge influence on the track, you know, and the whole album. But yeah. And, you know, which, and so it was already titled way in advance. And it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Just a crazy, cool, cool little timing there that like it happened to be just already in the pipeline, you know what I mean? Ready to go. And do you think you'll perform this music live? Do you have any, any plans for that? Dude, it's funny you ask that. I, I haven't really, I haven't, I didn't ever really think like I would do that. I just felt like I would put out this music and if people dug it, they dug it. I didn't, I almost didn't even obviously like for people to hear it, but I wasn't ever putting it out with the intention of like, I want to, this to be this huge deal. It was just kind of for me, really, you know? And I'd never really considered putting a band together or even considered how I would recreate some of it or any of that shit. But I happened to be talking to Nate Edgar the other day, um, maybe like a week or two ago, and hadn't talked to him in like, I don't know, a while, a year or two. He's a good friend. And I sent him, because he's, he's also such an amazing reggae bass player, yeah. you know? And and honestly, this whole album is the first time I've ever really played bass in my life, and right. I'm really proud of the bass playing on this record. Yeah, I really yeah. like, I really love like 
more than the guitar playing. I'm yeah. like, I love the bass playing on this record. Yeah, yeah. And so I sent him the, the track, especially the reggae one, and I was like, if Nate's approves it, I'll, I'll feel like I did a good job. And so I sent it to him, and he called me, and he was like, dude, this is so killing, blah, 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 blah. If I'm your man. Like, let's, let's do this. Like, I'll play bass on every one of the tracks you're putting out, man. Like, I'll play bass. Like, yeah. let's put a band together. Let's do some gigs. Like, I'll be your bass player. And I, I was the first time I was ever like, wow, this could be really cool. Like, yeah, yeah. this could be, so who knows? I don't, cool. I'm, I'm not trying to start a new project in the middle of a unstable, who knows what the fuck's going to happen, music industry right yeah, now because yeah. of COVID. But when all that kind of stuff mellows out, I'm totally totally in to put a, a really fun band together and just doing it for fun. But yeah, yeah. I don't think I'll ever like try to tour heavy behind it or anything like that. You know, it was more just for fun. You know, I want, I just wanted to, I just wanted to have fun yeah. <laughs> in the pandemic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and uh, is there star kitchen gigs happening anytime soon? Not as of now. We, we had a few coming up and right we played in Denver a month or two ago, um, which was so fun. But And then we had like a handful more coming up, but we canceled them because it was right around when everybody started getting COVID again. Yeah. It was like every band was like canceling, yeah. starting to play again and then canceling all their shows and ticket sales weren't really happening. And it was like things were starting to feel sketchy. And also the Disco Biscuits, you know, Mark... Yeah is fucking busy with those dudes. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, there's no real star kitchen shows right now, but we're, uh, we have a bunch of tunes that we're about to record. We're going to put out a full length album, I would say in the next year or so. Yeah. And it's, it's still an active thing when it can be. Appreciate you taking the time, man. And, uh, yeah, man. everybody take a, you know, take a trip over to Spotify and play the new Danny Mayer tracks. Two of the tracks are already up there. We got Basic Goodness and Upsetter are out now. Any? Do you have a date for the rest of the album yet? November twelfth. It's November twelfth. Okay. I'm well, pretty sure. Mind. One 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 two two one. Oh, that's a good date. That's a good date, right? Beginner's yeah. Mind. Uh, yeah. So it'll be out November twelfth. Everybody, go check that out. And uh, yeah, man, thank you again. Thanks for having me, brother. I want to thank Danny for being on the show today. Really great to catch up with him as always. So before we go, we're going to hear a track off of his new project on the label Color Red. This track is called Upsetter and is a tribute to the late, great Lee Scratch Perry.
Eric Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email krazplus1 at gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Osiris.